we going to... It's, oh. a, it's a seasonal podcast. It's, yeah. We're in the lull between Christmas and the New Year. And normally I'd be planning my New Year's Eve party. I know. But of course... That can't oh, happen. No, it's it so sad. Happen. It's so sad. You do. You have your glam and glitter white party for well, New Year's Eve. It's not quite Beverly Hills, but, but it's what a close. girl can dream. Yeah, it's a close. A girl can dream. That's pretty damn good for Wiltshire, I have to say. For, you know, for Wiltshire, it is Beverly Hills, let's okay. just say. Maybe a Beverly Hills 5, it's a Wiltshire 9. <laughs> No, that sounds awful, but you know, you know I love your party. You know yeah. I love your party. I do. I do. And a Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you, Gabby. Just, we've just got through the Christmas period. We've survived it. We have. We're in tier two. In yes. Wiltshire. We are hence, surrounded by tier three and we four. Are. But hence, we can record together across a clean table. And that is why the sound quality... If you've ever wondered about our sound quality, it's because we have always recorded these together in the time of COVID. We have. So we've been recording like the opposite sides of a table that we keep clean in a large room. In a socially distanced manner. Yes, we've been very responsible throughout the whole experience. We have. And this is by way of a final season. Yeah, a season finale. Conclusion finale, yes. yes. This will end season one for us. Yes. My name is Dr Gabby Malcolm and I'm a writer and a pop culture obsessive. And I'm Sarah Musselwhite, I'm a teacher, I'm a tutor and I am a Real Housewives super fan. So welcome to our 19th episode of No Wire Hangers, which is an odd number to finish on. But we don't want to end on an even number. We don't need to be. Let's keep a little bit of asymmetry going. A little bit of mystery about us. A little bit of mystery and asymmetry. (laughs) (laughs) What I am going to add is that I am embarking upon uh, creating a, a Patreon account through which I... I'm going to be looking for support and sponsors. Entirely voluntary. We're not trying to, but that will help us on our on our way to some better recording facilities and equipment. And there will be some merch coming. And merch coming. We've done some test merch this Christmas. My gift to Sarah oh. was a wonderful piece of test merch. Yeah. And it. I think it's worked. I think yeah. it's worked very well. Yeah. So there's that to look forward to. So we're going to be embarking on a Patreon account with myself as producer and uh we'll keep you up to date with that and um you can uh probably i'll put it in the link for the episode descriptions and you can choose whether or not to support us we know times are difficult but we also want to help keep you entertained. We will, oh, we that's will, us, entertaining the nation. We will keep doing what we're doing. This century, sweetheart. Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and the new year will see some brilliant new episodes. We're, we're yeah. working on so many... Yeah, we're going to have a little break. juicy episodes. And then there will be some really mm. juicy ones coming up. Mm. Some Talking about some more camp icons. Yeah. Maybe some camp mysteries. Yes. Some like notorious cases and yeah. things like that. Yeah, that would be something worth exploring. Mm. 
But for this week, we're into Judy Garland. Oh. Part two. The camp icon that is Judy. Everything about her. Just Everything is, is camp. Iconic. Yeah. Is camp. Yeah. So we're going to be pl- I'm going to be plunging into the golden age of musicals, which saw the kind of heyday of her career. So we're going to be taking. We're going to be sort of starting from. She's done the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. She's become um, a superstar, really, mm. hasn't she? She yeah. She has become one of the highest. Uh, what well, her films are amongst the highest grossing. Yeah. Uh, for MGM and for the time. She was with MGM from 1935 until 1950. Wow. So very yeah. much her own formative years mm, mm. and seeing that uh, influence of her mother yes. still. Yes. And then her own attempts at maturing and building, developing her career Um through this, through the wartime years and through the golden age of musicals. Because, of course, as we found out last time, her father died, who she was very yes. close to. she was very young when he died. Yeah, and he didn't get to see her real success, did no, he? No, no. And she was left with yeah. her mother. She was left with the lovely Ethel. Yes. Who, who puts other stage mothers to shame. Exactly. Her ambition. I wouldn't fancy meeting Ethel at the school gate. Oh, no. No. No, no Ethel. Several people we know, Ethel could sort them out, couldn't yeah. she? Yeah. yeah. We've met our fair share of competitive <laughs> yes. mothers. But Ethel... But Ethel, she, oh, she would have sorted them out. She, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see her in action, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, what you have... Um, through the 1940s is uh, Judy Garland appearing alongside Mickey Rooney yes in a series of like teen young people's mm. musical comedies called often called backyard musicals all about them pu- putting on kids getting together yes. and putting yes. on a, mu- a yeah. musical putting on a show let's do it here in the barn that's yeah. where that comes from and also alongside him in a couple of the Andy Hardy movies which was the franchise that Mickey Rooney was in that was one of the top grossing series of films from the 30s through to the 40s and he was known as a real kind of national treasure as mm, Andy Hardy mm, mm. and Judy Garland was introduced mm. in by MGM through those movies as well uh, she was part of the studio system as yes. I said last yeah. week a couple of weeks ago now, um, and she was um, schooled alongside yes, the yes. very, very glamorous starlets like uh, Liz Taylor yeah. and Lana Turner. Um, Louis B. Mayer, alongside several other influences in her life, are going to feature very prominently in this episode in a negative way. Ah. Can't really say much anything really nice about Louis B. Mayer now. History has judged him. And he actually, he nicknamed Judy Garland My Little Hunchback, is what he called her when she was a teenager. Because compared to the other starlets, she was considered short and fat and not as pretty. But come on, you compare it to Elizabeth Taylor. Well, exactly. You know, or Lana Turner. I mean, yeah, anybody would look like a sack of potatoes compared to them. It doesn't matter. But, oh, let's think, how to give somebody a complex. 
let's Absolutely. give them that yeah. sort yeah. of nickname. And I think that they were kind of unashamedly of that school of thought in the studio system that if you demean people and if you bully them, they will do better. Yes. And that was the sort of Be- thinking. Yes, because they they need mm. you more than you need them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Louis B. Mayer knew whatever he said to Judy, Ethel would back him up. Yes. We'll, That's, yeah, yes. we'll get to that. Yeah. With, yeah, with her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time in, in these musicals, these, these, you know, the kind of juvenile musicals, the backyard musicals, she was cast as the more, the girl next door, that kind of is like her label. Yeah. And that she was the, the girl who is sort of being overlooked something of an ugly duckling and is desperate for the attention of like the popular boy yes. played by Mickey Rooney. Yes. Um, she was contrasted with Deanna Durbin, oh, who was yeah. the young operatic yes, star. Yeah. So she had her kind of, you know, Judy Garland was more jazz, was more, you know, popular. Deanna Durbin warbled like a little nightingale. Um, and it was at this time, as we've said, that the amphetamine barbiturate combination was supposed to have been in use to keep them working. Yeah. And when you look at the schedule that she had, you think, you know, it, the, the density, the amount of work that she was being expected to star in, um, you could understand, you know, that they were they were opting for some sort of, you know, pharmaceutical yeah. method. However, Mickey Rooney later denied all of this. Mickey Rooney, you know, who lived into a ripe old age, denied this. He said, Judy Garland was never given any drugs by MGM. Mr. Mayer didn't sanction anything for Judy. No one on that lot was responsible for Judy Garland's death. Unfortunately, Judy chose that path. Well, he leaps from no, we weren't given drugs to yeah. the well, fact that she died from a barbiturate yeah. overdose. He kind of leaps, leapfrogs across a few decades. But didn't didn't we find out that it was Ethel that started yes, their on it? Anyway, so, yes. So even if yeah. the studio didn't sanction it, doesn't yeah. we say she wasn't on it? Yeah, and if even if it wasn't an official policy on the part of the studio, yeah. It doesn't mean to say that the doctors weren't medicating the stars. You know, and I mean, you know, again, yes, he was there, but he doesn't necessarily know the whole truth. So that's what her claim was. But she denied it as well when she was older. She denied it, yes, publicly. Yeah, she did. But there was a series of interviews that she conducted with a writer who was going to ghostwrite her autobiography, which later came out in a book and in which she outlined mm. but she sort of like uh, lost courage to, mm. to print to get it published herself in her yeah. lifetime which is understandable because you know she was financially very vulnerable you know yes. she couldn't risk in the in the 60s taking you know taking people on and risking being sued by anybody powerful could she she had been at a consistently healthy weight, apparently, for her small stature, but the studio demanded that she diet, and that was something, oh, you know, regularly. Oh. Uh, but she, And she was perpetually insecure. So we know this about her. We know that she was perpetually insecure and that this is something that just dogged her her whole life. 
Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to pinpoint a few key works, a few key films that I think mm-hmm. illustrate um, the way in which she was trying to develop and evolve into mature roles. So it takes us to the 1940s and to the work and her pairing with Vincent Minnelli oh, yes. for Meet Me in St. Louis. Yes. And also with her pairing um, with Jean Kelly. Yes. Um, her mature roles um, in Strike Up the Band, Little Nellie Kelly, and accompanying her her kind of enthusiasm to develop a more glamorous, grown-up image. And she also began relationships with a series of famous men within the sort of MGM orbit. Right. Um, and this is interesting because it's like a really enclosed little community yeah. in the sort of showbiz community. You know, rather like sort of Hollywood today, where you can see uh, actors... Sort of like village st- life. Yeah, yeah. You know, little we're kind of, all, all intertwined. Yeah, all intertwined, all interlinked. Yeah, so there's more quite, interlinked than others. Yeah, there's quite a kind of network, you see. She fell for band leader Artie Shaw. Right. Uh, but he famously eloped with Lana Turner in oh. 1940. Ouch. So she kind of hops from one relationship to another in but a rapid I, succession. I'm, you know, I reckon this is to get away mm. from her mother. Well, yes, exactly. Yes, it's very reminiscent of Elizabeth Taylor. It is, it? Yeah. when you've got that controlling mother. Yeah. You want a way out. And at 18, musician David Rose proposed to her, but he was still married. So these are older men, already kind of quite well established, young, very young starlets. Um, She also had a brief affair with the songwriter Johnny Mercer, but then she married David Rose in 1941 when he got his divorce. They were, however, separated and divorced by 1943 to 44. Also, obviously, the war's on. Mm. So people did kind of flit from one relationship to another as well. So that would have exacerbated When she was married to um, David Rose... It makes, it makes me think of Shit's Creek. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Um, it's, um, she... She was pregnant, yes. and she had was forced into having an yeah, abortion. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, yeah, she had an affair in 1943 with Tyrone Power. Oh. So while she was still married to David Rose, and from both that affair and during her marriage to Rose, a couple of years earlier, she became pregnant. Yeah. So she didn't, but but her mother and the yes. studio yes. compelled her yes. to have abortions both times. So she had two That's abortions awful. in the early 40s within quick oh, succession. God, that would... No. So go, flitting from relationship to relationship, still only just sort of 20 years of age. Mm. She also had a brief affair with Orson Welles in Ooh. 1944, whilst he was still married to Rita Hayworth. Um, they remained good friends. She remained on very good terms with a lot of these men, it was just not meant to be, and obviously she was uh, she was barely out of her teens, and already within that kind of yeah, sort of circulating within this very very small community. Sometimes the female stars in question defied the studio and had the baby or had adopted a child. You know this this happened on more than one occasion. 
What I think is an important thing at this point in her career was that at age 19, she was cast in Me and My Girl in 1942 with Gene Kelly in his first role. This was a grown-up, dramatic role about a pair of vaudevillians during World War I, but obviously echoing the contemporary World War II Mm. situation, directed by Busby Berkeley. In this, the sort of power structure within this was that Garland was the more influential star because she was already a big name. Gene Kelly, this was his first role, really. Um, And they got on really well. So much so, in fact, that um, she was very supportive of him if there was any disagreements with Busby Berkeley so that she sided with Gene Kelly over any sort of dis. Yeah, over yeah. the directing because Gene Kelly as a dancer and choreographer knew what he was talking about when it came to obviously directing musical numbers of course Busby Berkeley the famous musical yes. director knew his stuff but Berkeley was quite a bully and was consistently nasty to Judy Garland about her talent and about her looks and all of that so she was really really unhappy on the set but she made good friends and got a kind of really good ally in the form of Gene Kelly which was actually beneficial for both of them in their careers at the time she was receiving coaching by Stella Adler right who along with Lee Strasberg had brought the Stanislavskian method to American theatre and film so it was like, you know, Marlon Brando, yeah, etc. They yeah. were going to follow on and go to the actor's studio. So it shows that really early on, she wanted to learn. She wanted to take her yeah. acting profession yeah. seriously. but And she did not like Busby Berkeley, <laughs> which is not a very good uh, enemy to make in no. that sense. So moving on to 1945, mm-hmm. which was a major year in which she completed Meet Me in St. Louis and also married Vincent Minnelli very soon after the production closed. So as her director on that movie, they had a bit of conflict early on, but they very quickly built up a really good working relationship and got on. So they kind of went from sort of like a bit of a, you know, conflict to actually really hitting it off. Do you think she had doubts about his sexuality? Because Mm. things that I read about him, um, people Mm. assumed he was gay because he he wore makeup. I believe he had some Mm. few dalliances with young boys. Yeah. Um, Well, it was always that that yeah there was always that idea of it surrounding their relationship but they had you know they had Liza together so you know so obviously not a, you know <laughs> sexuality is a spectrum yeah, absolutely absolutely no i just i just wondered because yeah mm. yeah interesting well he had a really really unique fantastic vision one of the campus directors there has ever been um, hugely adept at directing musicals he went on to win Academy Awards, obviously working with Gene Kelly for mm. An American mm. in Paris in 1951 mm. and Gigi in 1958. Mm. In 1946, Liza was born. Oh. So they got together and they very quickly had a child. Um, and in 1947, whilst filming The Pirate with Gene Kelly, so they 
had another film very very soon. You can the schedule is nuts. It's These crazy. are full scale, yeah. months long rehearsals. And she's just had a baby. And she's just had a baby. She actually had a nervous breakdown in her first suicide attempt during the pirate and it was really thanks to the fact that she was working on that with her husband and with Kelly that she survived did, did, did she have postpartum depression? Yeah, they think that yeah. was partly it, and just exhaustion. Yeah, you know, the, it was it was an it was a really intense time. It was fashioned as a vehicle for her with Cole Porter writing eight original songs. Oh gosh! And so, so she was pressure. under so much pressure for it. Yeah, mm. um, the, a very important person came into her life at this time as well. A woman called Dorothy Pondell or Ponadel who was appointed her makeup artist by Minelli. Oh. So if there's any advantage of marrying a fluid man yes. who, who loves wearing makeup, yes. it's the fact that he booked her a brilliant makeup artist, got, got, brought her in for Meet Me in St. Louis and had her stick with Judy, who transformed Judy's look. She, as a teen, Garland had had to wear temporary caps on her teeth. Oh. And little sort of rubberized discs pushed inside her nose to reshape her nose. Because oh she wasn't God. deemed to be attractive Oh, enough. God, this is just awful. Pon- Pondell, Pondell dispensed with these and remade Judy's look into that more glamorous... Yes grown-up look when, yeah. when you see her in Meet Me in St. Louis it's yeah. that thing of the gorgeous with the wig yeah. it's like and, and there's so, it's so distinctive mm. and just so gorgeous mm. and it sort of stayed as a really strong look mm. for, for so many years you know and so the, the problems that she had been dogged by with not being glamorous enough began to be solved with the help of, of her husband and a makeup artist but the pirate did really badly at the box office and it's probably the postpartum depression and exhaustion. Mm. Um, Louis B. Mayer intervened, cutting some of the song and dance numbers um, and ordering reshoots. And then there's the incredible signature number, which is the Be A Clown number, in which Gene Kelly dances alongside the Nicholas brothers. Who oh, are yeah. The, the tap duo, they're yeah. the greatest tap duo of all time. Anybody who knows anything about dance, as you know, listeners may remember, it's another string to my bow. I don't look like a dancer, but I can dance. Um, they were actually, the Nicholas Brothers were so influential and so important. And Gene Kelly considered it like his greatest honour to choreograph and work with them on this movie. But then that number was cut from movie theatres in the South because, of course, you couldn't... They didn't think audiences would tolerate seeing two black artists equal with equal footing alongside a a white performer. And they... Yeah, you're right. It would just be, you know... So, barely recovered from her um, nervous breakdown after being exhausted from filming The Pirate, she went straight into filming Easter Parade in 1948. Oh, gosh. I'm exhausted just hearing about it. And this is like, and I'm describing here, this is the succession of the golden age of musicals where you think about these films and you just think, wow, that's what you think about when you think about the MGM musical. And it's her, and it's relying on her, and it's, you know, other people who, who were stars, yes, 
you know, this is when you get introduced to Debbie Reynolds and yeah. all sorts of other people, Jane Powell, uh, you know, De- you know, Deanna Durbin crashed and burned by that yeah. time. Mickey Rooney couldn't get arrested. Yeah. You know, it was like this was, you know, people were having, people wanted tap dancers, they wanted singers, they wanted people who could do everything, you know, and, and that's what she could do because she, she could dance, sing and act, you know, I mean, yeah. she was wonderful. But Gene Kelly broke his ankle and he was replaced by Fred Astaire in Easter Parade, with whom she also got on really well and had a, a happy time on the on set. She and does seem to get on with people. She does. You know. Staggeringly, she gets on with these professional supportive people mm. who, who don't bully her. Yeah. Oh, what an what an amazing thing that Vincent Minnelli and Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly and other people it became her highest grossing film so wow. to date Easter Parade. Then immediately after that she was cast alongside Fred Astaire again in the Barclays of Broadway, but she was exhausted. There's talk about the fact that she was actually drinking heavily by that point. So she was suspended by the studio and that was, she was replaced by Ginger Rogers, which was the last time Rogers and Astaire paired on screen. Um, We're only in 1949 still. Oh my God. So she's gone from box office failure, success, to be suspended. So this whole thing um, is, you know, like a, a roller coaster. She surely must be making a fortune. Oh no. 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 She's she's also being ripped off yeah. um, by her agents as we speak. Uh she then, you see, the ups and downs, you know, she was in Easter Parade, you know, Kelly was replaced, she was then put into tried they cast her in Barclays of Broadway, but Rogers had to replace her. Then she replaced June Allison in the good old summertime right. the next year. June Allison was pregnant. Um, she was, but Garland was dogged with health issues from the get-go, but still managed to finish this, the filming schedule five days early. Um, so, supposedly, her reputation for being unreliable, suppose it wasn't always true. So these people yeah. are just worked and worked until yeah. they drop. Yeah. The agents are making money. The studio bosses are making yeah. money. Are the actors making yeah. a lot of money? And in the space of those eight years, she had had two terminations. She'd had one successful pregnancy, you know, and she had been married twice and been through, you know, the ups and downs and starred in, like, six musical films. You know, like, what? and they're exhausting. The schedule is utterly exhausting she brought had she brought Liza onto the set for the good old summertime so Liza Minnelli is there age two in her first and that film was again her highest grossing movie to date so she was able to do you know absolutely sterling work but she was still being bullied and you know treated as if she wasn't good enough yeah whilst making and, them this money and I imagine the the quips about her weight continue oh absolutely yeah and you do yeah. notice that when you see clips yeah. of her that there's somewhere she's yeah a healthy weight and then yeah. there's somewhere she's there's the, you can see it even within the span yeah. of yeah. one film it's all because of yeah the interruptions in the schedules yeah there's a good example of that um in the 50s she was then cast in annie get your gun oh yeah but she didn't want the role because it was kind of like more going back to the girl next door 
and she didn't really want that and also Busby Berkeley was going to direct the musical numbers um, so she resisted the studio okay uh, and she wouldn't agree to do it and so of course it made enraged Mayer Berkeley the powerful men Betty Hutton replaced her in it and then Judy Garland left Hollywood oh, yeah so she went off to a hospital on the east coast where she was able to come off the pills mm, she was mm, able to quit yeah, drinking yeah so she was got really really healthy yeah she, she just needed felt great rest. she needed a rest she put weight on she worked in the hospital, spent time with the children. There was a lot of disabled children in this hospital on the East Coast. And she was away from Hollywood and she helped look after them and spend time with them. So in, in a way that she had never been kind of allowed to. Mm. So she came back to MGM in 1950 and immediately started filming Summerstock with her friend Jean Kelly. Um, she was absolutely, per- she's perfect in it. She's absolutely perfect. But they told her she had to die again. Oh, Because she no. put weight on. So oh, she's yo-yoing God. like crazy. But one of the things, and we can always be grateful, musical theatre history can always be grateful, um, that the Get Happy number, that is oh, like yes. the signature... Yes. You look at that and it is flawless. Mm. And she shed weight for it. She was super fit. She was absolutely bang on. And she insisted that that Get Happy number be included in in the film. And that was down to her that she, she did it. And it's, it's perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, even if she'd only ever done that, even if that had been her one and only film role, yeah. it yeah. would she'd be, you know. So the film made a loss apparently and that was when she was dropped by MGM and she left the studio so no thanks for all the amazing films you've done no thanks for all the money you've made no 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 remembrance of the fact she's been with them since she was a child exactly and given up so much in terms of family and a life that you could have had but it was her foundation of being someone who people liked and liked working with and her obviously her superb talent that stood her in good stead because straight off Bing Crosby brought her onto his radio show. Right, yes. So she went on to what was the Craft Music Hall radio show, mm-hmm. as in Craft as in the cheese. Yes. Um, people's memory of it, one of the writers recalled she was trembling with fear almost hysterical fearful people would see the scars on her throat where she was supposed to have tried to commit suicide again but she claimed that she'd accidentally just cut herself on her neck but people said that oh she's tried to slash her own throat Uh, this is one of the writers on on Bing's show Bing Crosby went out and addressed the crowd we got a friend here she's had a little trouble recently you probably heard about it everything is fine now she needs our love she needs our support she's here let's give it to her okay and she came out and that place went crazy she just blossomed so it's almost as if like you know um, the approval of audiences Mm. she thrived on it um, yes Definitely. Mm. So that's the that's the kind of end of her major film yeah. career. Yeah. But it it is not the end of her career no. by a long chalk. 
that's when she began touring again. Yeah. So the, And it was like the Gum Sisters days. She goes back on the touring circuit. In 1951, she had her sell-out four-week run at the London Palladium. And it's one of the... Th- I think it's at that point she discovered what a global star she was. Yeah, I she, she wouldn't have realised. Because yeah, I can, I think in living in, you know, you are yeah. in a bubble. Yes. You know, you're dating all the same people that yeah. everyone else is dating. <laughs> yeah. And it was described as one of the greatest personal triumphs in showbiz history. Wow. She received a special Tony Award for it. Because it wasn't mm. on Broadway, it was at the Palladium. In 1952, she married Sidney Luft, mm. her manager, her tour manager, and she had two children, Lorna in 1952 and Joey in 1955. It seems to have been quite a happy time, in, to some extent, you know, that she was building her family, she was touring, and then with the support of Sydney and creating her own production company, she developed A Star Is Born. For 1954, in which she starred with James Mason as the struggling actor who's an alcoholic, her husband. Um, As her star is on the rise, you know, his is on the decline. I think it's really poignant, this film, and better than any other version. It's better than Barbara's version, even though that is good. Barbara and Chris Christopherson. Better than Barbara? Yeah, oh God. I could think even Barbara, well, maybe Barbara wouldn't say that, but <laughs> but I think, and as for Lady Gaga, I'm no offence, love, but you really shouldn't have bothered. Oh, That's no. my take on it. That's my take on it. No. Oh, come on, Bradley Coop. I mean, you know, get people who can actually sing. Uh, it was a very, it was a critical triumph uh, and a popular triumph, but it also kind of uh, lost money even though she did get an Oscar nomination, but she, she lost out to Grace Kelly for a film called oh, yes. The Country Girl. Whoever watches that anymore, you know. Groucho Marx sent her a telegram calling it the biggest robbery since Brinks. <laughs> she, <laughs> just think, That's good. Yeah. That's good. And I have to say, her next series of films into the 50s and early 60s were just phenomenal because her range was just incredible um i mean she was working constantly and she became one of the highest paid artists in vegas so she wow. had a massive sellout sort of in 1956 oh judy garland in vegas i know i know can you get yeah. any more cash with jerry lewis jerry lewis oh. actually he understudied for her once when she ha- had a bad ankle and she had she couldn't go on stage and he went out and understudied for her and said, sorry, folks, you haven't got Judy, I've come. Can you, you know. ima- just imagine? That was like the golden age yeah. of Vegas. I just... oh. And she was in films like Judgment at Nuremberg in 1961 and she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Wow. And her final film was in 1963, which is I Could Go On Singing with Dirk Bogard. As the British doctor, she's the American singer, they've had a child and it's like, can she build a life by re-entering her child's life? It's incredibly poignant. Mm. These are great, great, I mean, you know, A Star Is Born, I Could Go On Singing, Judgment at Nuremberg, again, even if that was your output, never mind Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. Never mind Easter Parade. If that was your output, you could, you know, she was phenomenal, and she, people yeah, don't really give was. her enough credit no, as no, an I actor. Do, I do agree. Yeah. I do agree. 
Um, her Carnegie Hall appearance in 1961 was dubbed the greatest night in show business history. Wow. So again, you know... It's not bad, is yeah, it? not bad going, <laughs> is it? For an old bird. She also took on a weekly TV variety yes, show yes. in 1964. Uh, uh, she won an Emmy for it, but it was cancelled after a season. I mean, again, it's amidst all this, like, the scheduling... The, the sense that, oh, she wasn't reliable enough, you know, what's going on, you know, people, you know, people want, they sort of, I don't know, it's almost like kind of, they, they were willing to, to to try her out, but then they would sort of pull it back mm. because she wouldn't be, you know, she wasn't good enough, she wasn't, but you just think, wait a minute, you know, you give her the support, you take away that kind of bullying. It's, it's hard to imagine yeah. a, a a, an actress of that caliber being treated yeah. that way today. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that the, the, the level of ability—I mean, this is probably why someone like Barbara Streisand, why they're called divas, you know, because yes. of that thing yes. of like treat. They, yeah, they want a bit of yeah. respect. You need to treat me right because yeah. I have to put everything into this performance yeah. every night, and it's exhausting. Yeah, you know, and you know, she was um, she was ripped off by her agents who'd yeah. replaced Sydney Luft. Uh, Increasingly, she fell on hard times, as we know, um, with sort of disastrous live concerts from the heights, you know, of the Tonys Mm. and winning the Emmys. And, you know, she hit these lows. Um, uh, She married twice more, though, and they were, you know, quite troubled relationships. Um, You've got um, up until Mickey Deans, who was a nightclub promoter, um, when she died at the age of 47 when he found her in their flat in London yeah. but she had actually made London her home because she had yeah. she felt the reception there she like, she felt the affection like you said about the the how she needed that audience yeah. approval yeah. Well, she got it there exactly. because her show was sold out every oh. night and was considered to be a landmark of show business like if you had been if you were alive there and you saw it yeah. and you saw her in the flesh at the London Palladium it's just heartbreaking in so many ways. It is. I have to say, watching the um, the film with mm. Renee Zellweger yes. in it... I was interested to see how you... Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Renee Zellweger is phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And I have to say, when she sings at the end, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I defy anyone yeah. not to have a tear did in their eyes. Did she get it? Did she really oh nail my gosh. it? Wonderful. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's so... There's, there are there are some... I mean, it's terribly sad, but there are some funny scenes. Yeah. There's one... Um, she's performed, and she goes to meet... Um, any members of the audience who want to come and meet her after oh. and she goes outside and there are these these two middle-aged men who are a couple <laughs> that's all and she's sort of like okay so should we go out and they're both they're going you want to come out what? with us and um she was like yeah come on so they, yeah. they're sort of wandering around and there's not many things open no, late on a no. sunday night in london no, and one of them says well, why don't you just come back to ours and the other one's saying, we haven't got any food in. And he's like, it's fine, we'll make her an omelette. Yeah. And they are sort of struggling to make an yeah. omelette for her. And she just goes back to their home. And they sort of open up to her and they you know, they say how badly they've been treated, how they yeah. are very much outsiders. Yeah. And she, she's got the most amount of empathy with them and says, I, I know yeah. how you feel. That's how I felt my whole life. Yeah, yeah. And 
they just can't get over that their yeah. idol Judy Garland yeah. is in in their home. Oh, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's like the idea of like people couldn't equate the the idea of somebody so talented and so famous as being unhappy. Well, I you know, there was I, I that think real I that kind of you. naivety when wasn't um, it? when we were talking about Paris Hilton. Yeah, and I yeah. said to you. I, I know this is wrong, but my belief always was, look at Paris Hilton, she's tall, she's thin, she's beautiful, and she's rich. Unbelievably why, wealthy. Why the hell would she be unhappy? Yeah. And I think even, I consider myself a reasonable intelligence, and I still thought that. Yeah. So, we yeah. see, that's what we think. This yeah. is what we are conditioned yeah. in our lives to totally. think, well, if you've got money, if yeah. you are successful, you must be happy. And I think it's only now that we kind of realise, yeah. actually, it's it's not that that so, does make you happy. And so much of the facade of fame yes. and wealth has yes. dissolved yes. With the, over the years since we've had the internet and social media yes. that people know and they sort of see things and they may be... They may believe what they see to begin with, but very quickly the illusion can be shattered. Absolutely, and I think we're more aware of it now. Well, certainly Mm. I am. I mean, I cannot believe um, some people that I follow, I'm not including you in this, Gabby, but (laughs) some people were posting their children opening presents on Christmas Day. Uh, And they're posting the the dinner. And I think if you're being present with your family, which is, of all days, you'd hope you could do that on Christmas Day. Why are you posting on Instagram? It it is, yeah, it becomes so absorbing for some people. Yes, it's not the real world. And then for the other people following it to see the updates. Yes. And it's almost like they're they're trying to live this parallel. Yes line of uh, yeah. uh, everything's perfect yeah and I kind of hoped that because of the pandemic that we're going through yeah. because of COVID uh, for a lot of people I know things have been put more into perspective and people are not quite as shallow yeah. as they perhaps were yeah. and not they don't get wrapped up in it but I was very interested to see the people that were still posting yeah. their children opening presents yeah Oh, Don't and do it. And when you look at the feed on something like Facebook, to, if you were to scroll through it, I, I, there's a, a youngish woman I know who's married to a very, very well, wealthy man. They went away on a holiday to Barbados before Christmas. Oh, okay. With their small children, because you know how much small children love Caribbean holidays. Yeah, oh, they love an eight-hour flight. Yeah, and. <laughs> Um, and um, and and then they were back, and then they were doing the whole thing, matching onesies, and a, a, like a series of photographs of opening presents on Christmas Day. And I looked at the feed, and it said something like plus forty-seven. So there was like three pictures. I thought oh, that looks quite nice. Oh, well, yeah. you know. And then it's like you think I'm not going to look at your forty-seven no, pictures no. of your children, no. your child who's no. not even one, no, and another child who's about four. And please don't get me started on matching pajamas. Oh, don't. Oh, that's no. Oh my no, god. No, no. But isn't it interesting because that's what Judy Garland did on her TV show <gasps> with the Christmas episode with her children lined up with Lorna and with Liza and they were lined up singing and they're all and it's like Christmas in our home that's like the kind of the TV specials American TV specials of like wow. this is me and my and, and Joan with Christina 
Yes. You know, at home with yes. Joan and Christina yes. and Christopher. Yes. Isn't it? It's, it's all that kind yes, of... Yes, the facade. Look at my lovely, lovely life. Yes. Isn't it perfect? Yeah. And isn't that interesting that people are yeah. still doing that? And it's like, that was the early days of TV. Interesting. That had been in the fan magazines for the movie industry. And now people are doing it themselves. And developing that on you know and it is that thing of look at us all smiles in the swimming pool and all this you know mm. and you it's I just sad. look at it and I just think you know, Do you know I what? just think just have a good time on Carrie Christmas Fisher, Day Carrie Fisher I think yes, yeah yeah there was all those pictures of Eddie yeah. and Debbie yes, and Carrie yes you know and and it's it's just it's never it never works out no it doesn't your children are not accessories then really yeah. are they not I feel like saying she's a very she's a she's a friend of mine and she's done it. Her husband's very wealthy and they obviously have a seemingly a very happy life. But I just feel like saying your children are not accessories. Mm, yeah, you know. But she treats them like I mean, really, and it's almost like in defiance of common sense mm. and everything that you know to be mm. to be right and healthy. I so and yes, yes yeah. I think, uh, you know, certainly from watching the, the movie about the end yeah. of Judy's life, I feel it all comes down to her childhood. That mm. it, it kind of, that this was sadly inevitable. Mm. Yet again, we come back to the showbiz mom. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. why didn't she let her just go to school and have a normal childhood? Mm. And be a fantastic singer. Yeah. You know, have singing lessons. Yeah. She, you know. I mean, because she, she had such talent. Yes. And the, the talent is not going to go anywhere. No. Yeah. No. You don't need to starve her and feed her amphetamines to make her a better singer. No. In fact, probably n- not a good idea to do that. If something's going to wreck no. your voice, it's that. Yes. <laughs> it's really, really sad. Like you say, phenomenal actress, amazing voice, mm. huge icon. Yet, what was it all worth? Yeah. And you just think, you know. And you can see the legacy because you can see the harm that it did to Liza. Absolutely. Uh, Lorna is Lorna and Joseph are relatively. I think they're relatively. You know, Lorna Luft always struck me as being more in control yes. and well adjusted. Yeah. yeah. Even though she had experienced all that chaos and yes. you know the erratic behaviour and everything mm. when she was mm. a little girl. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it's just she was so talented. And so, so damaged, and therefore camp. Therefore camp. So camp. She is camp as a row attempt. Yeah. She really is. I have to, I think this is a great place to end. It is. Because she really is. As much as Joan is our patron saint. She is, yes, absolutely. I think we've got her as our patron, patron saint. Perhaps we've got Judy as our queen. She is. Nothing broke Joan in that, in that way. Judy, unfortunately, you know, the the world sort of broke her. She was a butterfly, yeah. But I think, as I said, I I think it was inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. If you worked that hard, if you you take that many drugs, if you worked that hard... If you're given a job when you're 12. We've said this before, stop giving children jobs. This is the theme of season one. It is, totally. Please. My son is out metal detecting. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not making, giving no. him a job. He's metal detecting. Yeah. Something like that. It's a lovely little yeah. hobby for a child. Exactly. You know, yeah. go on a computer game. Yes, my <laughs> sons are on computer games as I speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but they're not. They don't have a job. No, they don't have a job, and they do. They are musical. Yeah, because they wonderful. love it. They love being that's musical. Yeah. My son likes football, but yeah. doesn't play for Chelsea. <laughs> Nobody else we know plays for Chelsea either. Okay, so happy That's new it, year. Folks. Happy new year. 2021, Gabby. What is your wish? Oh, golly. Uh, vaccine um, and to be actually able to hug friends and to be I able agree. to sit and have, have a cocktail. I agree. Cocktails with my girlfriend, yes. a vaccine, and to go back to being fabulous. Yes. Yes, not lockdown. Not lockdown. Compromise. I want fabulous life yeah. and I'd love a flipping holiday. Yeah. Oh dear. Thank you for listening. Thank you. We will be back for season we will be back. two in the new year. Yes.